0: All right, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Uh, today is what is traditionally known or called uh, Palm Sunday. And if you look in the Gospels, so if you look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, above this particular passage, typically it says something like triumphal entry. So, for instance, if you grab one of the Bibles that's under your chair and you open it to Matthew chapter 21, above there it's going to say, Actually, I didn't look at this one to see if it says in there. In most Bibles, it says triumphal entry. And what it's talking about is a time when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and not only Jesus, but thousands of other people are traveling to Jerusalem. And we're going to cover so much scripture this morning that I can't read it all for you. So I want to challenge you uh, to to go and read the story of the triumphal entry. Um, We're also going to talk about why all these people are traveling from wherever they're at and why they're coming into Jerusalem. We're going to talk about why, because if you don't understand why, it loses some of its meaning and its impact. So thousands of people are traveling to Jerusalem for this particular week, and they're going there because it's a big deal to them, and you need to be asking, why is it a big deal? So in order to understand why it's a big deal, you have to go all the way back in the Bible, all the way to the book of Exodus. God's people, the Israelites, they're captive, they're slaves, okay? And essentially what happens is God has this conversation um, with Moses and says, I need you to go to Pharaoh. Um, and tell him to let my people go, okay? So if you've been around church at all, there's some cheesy, oh, I shouldn't say that because I probably offended. There's some some nice old church songs that go along with that. But So he goes to have the conversation with Pharaoh and says, hey, you should let God's people go. This is an important thing. You should do that. He says, no, I don't want to do that. Yes, you should do that. And they have this conversation and it's not going well. And so essentially what happens is God says, if you don't let my people go, I'm going to bring these plagues, these hardships upon you, and it's not going to be pleasant. And so that's what happens. And so the first plague comes, the second plague comes, and this was uh, third, fourth, fifth, like this is a difficult time. Like this isn't pleasant things that are happening. And scripture tells us in the book of Exodus that the Pharaoh's heart got harder and harder and harder and harder. And so God says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do one last thing and I'm going to send the uh, angel of death is going to come and strike down the firstborn in every family and every herd and and every flock. So this is a significant thing, right? Like the firstborn in every family and every herd and every flock is going to be killed. Now, if you and I were there, if I was there, I'd be, whoa, wait a minute. I'm the firstborn in my family. Let's let's talk about this a little bit. And God says to his people, I'm going to provide a way out for you. I'm going to provide a way so this doesn't happen to the firstborn in your family. And it gets very specific. And, and you heard this morning as we read from Exodus chapter 12, some of the things that they were supposed to do. And so on the 10th day of the month, you're supposed to get your spotless lamb or goat. Like it's not supposed to be the runt. It's not supposed to be the one that's already messed up. It's supposed to be the perfect one. And on the 14th day of the month, you're supposed to make a sacrifice. And what the Bible says that they were supposed to do was when they made a sacrifice, they were supposed to take some of the blood from this animal and they were supposed to take it and they were supposed to put it above their door and on the sides of their door. And when they put it above their door and on the sides of the door, the thing happened the way that that it was supposed to happen. the, The angel of death comes and it says that it struck down the firstborn in all of the land from the highest to the lowest with the exception of the people that had blood from the sacrifice above their door. The angel of death passed over. And so maybe you've heard the terminology "Passover" and not really sure where it comes from. And that's where it comes from. And as you continue to read um, in Exodus chapter 12, it talks about this is such a significant thing that you should remember this, that you should celebrate it and that's why Jesus along with thousands of other people are traveling into Jerusalem is because they're going to celebrate and remember what Jesus had done what God had done by providing a way out for the death angel to pass over and so they're going to do this that's why they're going and so when you read in your scripture in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all talk about it as Jesus is traveling into Jerusalem, you read about it and it's called the triumphal entry. And then it says, sometimes Tori even mentioned this morning, we talk about it, the Palm Sunday. Why is it called Palm Sunday? So Jesus, along with thousands of other people are traveling into Jerusalem and he goes through Bethany, it's a suburb, if you will, and he goes through Bethany in order to get to Jerusalem, and what you need to know is Mary and Martha are from Bethany. Lazarus is from Bethany, and so people know who Jesus is, and they hear that he's coming, and it becomes a big deal, and people start talking about Jesus' coming. This is significant, and the Bible says that a couple of things happen as Jesus is traveling into Jerusalem. It says that people started taking palm branches, and they would lay them down in front of Jesus as he's riding this donkey into Jerusalem. It says something else started to happen that people started to take off their coats. They started to take off their jackets and they would lay their jackets in front of Jesus as he was coming into Jerusalem. And the reason that they were doing that was because they would often do this for people that they said had high honor. And so they were honoring Jesus by laying down these palm branches, by laying down their outer garments in front of him as he's traveling into Jerusalem along with thousands of other people so that they can celebrate and remember what God had done for them back in Egypt. Like, just think about it, because they've heard about what happened in Egypt for generation after generation after generation. Every year they get together, and they begin to celebrate, and they begin to talk about the things that happened, and they ate together, and it was a festival, and it was a big deal because they were remembering. And isn't it interesting that in the very moment when people were traveling into Jerusalem to remember what God had done that the very Son of God is traveling with them into Jerusalem. And there's a lot of excitement that starts to build because Jesus has done some incredible things and people start talking about it. And you know what it's like when people start talking about things and the excitement builds and people start saying things like, I think this is the guy, this is the one, he heals people, he feeds people, he, he's a lover, he's a toucher, he's a healer and everybody starts to get excited that this guy, Jesus, is coming to to rescue us. And when you read in scripture, it says that they say, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's a pretty significant thing as they come to travel. Many of Jesus' core teachings take place over the next week. Like some of his core things that he teaches is a big deal. And one of the things that you read in scripture that happens is people would go, when they got to Jerusalem, they would go to the temple. The reason that they would go to the temple was because it was difficult to travel Okay, remember why they're going? They're going to celebrate and remember what God did back in Egypt. And they're going to make a sacrifice. It was difficult to travel two or three weeks with your spotless lamb or your goat. And so, what they would do is they would travel, and when they would get there, they would go to the temple to buy or to purchase their sacrifice. And what happened, like sometimes happens when you start doing religion, is somebody found a way to make money on the backs of the worshipers. And so people would come into the temple and there would be tables, money changers, like if you were to, to fly out of the country and you need to exchange your currency, it would be something like that. These tables lined with people and money um, in the temple and you would come in and they would ask, where did you come from? And you'd tell them where you came from and they would say, well, here's your exchange rate. And so you would lay out most of all the money that you had and you would put it down on the table and they would say, okay, here's your exchange rate plus the hefty commission that we wanna charge you. So they were, they were making money on the backs of the worshipers that were coming to worship God. I don't know if you've ever saw anyone taking advantage of people who try to worship or making money on religion and how that makes you feel it's that's pretty gross, right? Jesus felt the same way on that day. And for whatever reason, some righteous anger began to rise up in him as he saw the people making money on the backs of the worshipers. And it, I know that maybe if you grew up going to church, you've seen those pictures of Jesus with his nice green eyes and his hair all flowing in place. And he's kind of glowing and he looks all happy. That is not what he looked like on this day. He's ticked because he sees how people are taking advantage of worshipers. And as he goes in there, the Bible tells us that he begins to flip over tables and he's kicking tables and he begins to yell at them and he begins to tell them, get out, get out. All of you, get out of here. You've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And over the next several days some of jesus core teachings take place he unpacks an incredible amount of gospel teachings and one of the things that he tells people is love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength for them it was called the shema the sum of the old testament he did talk about many parables. He did a parable of the wedding feast and a parable of the virgins. And he talked about the end times. And so he's doing some incredible amount of teaching over the next couple of days. And here's what happens it's now Thursday. And on Thursday, everybody's supposed to get together to have their Passover meal. And Jesus' followers, his disciples, they're like, Jesus, hey, this has been a great experience, okay? Like, riding in on the donkey and the palm leaves and the jackets, that was really cool. And then, whoa, what you did in the temple, that was pretty amazing. Like, it's been a lot of fun. But I need you to know, tell us what we're going to do about our meal together, our Passover. Where are we going to celebrate So Jesus gives them some specific instructions. They're supposed to go to a specific place and they'll see a guy with a a glass of water and they're supposed to follow this guy to the house. They follow him to the house and there's gonna be a man there. You're supposed to ask, can we come and celebrate at your place? And that's exactly what happens. And he said, sure, come. So Jesus and his disciples had celebrated Passover together many, many times. This was not the first, but it would be the last. You see, these guys, his followers, his disciples, they had celebrated Passover their entire lives for. Hundreds and hundreds of years, their families had celebrated what God did in Egypt and it was a significant event for them and they wanted to know, Jesus, where are we going to eat? Where are we going to party? Where are we going to spend time together? Where are we going to remember what God did when we made those sacrifices and people put blood above their door? We need to do this. So they go to the guy's house and they get into a small room and they're celebrating this Passover just like they always did. But this time... Jesus begins to say some things a little bit differently than he had before. And Jesus picks up some unleavened bread that was very significant for them. And it was part of their, not only culture, but part of their celebration. And he picked it up and he said, Guys, I need you to know that this bread represents me, my body broken for you and you got to put yourself in their place because they're thinking no Jesus this is representing what God did back in Egypt when he provided a way out he rescued us we put the blood above our door and the death angel passed over this has nothing to do with with you or with bread what's going on and he says this is my body that's going to be broken for you And as they continue to share their meal together, the Bible says that he picked up his cup and he said, guys, I want you to know that this cup represents my blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of your sin. And you still have to understand where where they're coming from. This is all brand new to them. And they're like, no, we already have, have this covenant with God. That's why we're remembering. That's why we're celebrating. That's why we do this. And he says, this cup represents the blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And the Bible says that after they had finished sharing a meal together, that they sang together like, And I can just imagine what it would be like if we were there in the room and we shared a meal with Jesus and then we began to sing together. After they had sang together, what happened was they got up and they began to to travel a little bit and most likely went out north of the city of Jerusalem and they went down into the Kidron Valley up to this place called Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe you've heard that term before. But do you know what Gethsemane means? Gethsemane means olive press. And that doesn't sound quite as cool as the garden of Gethsemane, does it? That Jesus traveled to the garden of the olive press. Or does it? See, when you look and see exactly what the olive press is and how it works, it's pretty interesting. One of the ways that they would press olives, and olive oil was very important to them. They used it in everyday life, but they also used it in worship at the temple. And there was this big uh, a stone container that they would put the olives in. And then there was this wheel that, made of stone that they would use and they would get somebody behind the wheel to push it around or an animal to push it around and it would begin to crush the olives. And as it would crush the olives, the, the very first part of the olive oil would begin to run out of a little slit that's made into the, the container and it would run down into a bowl and they would catch this very first part of the olive oil. And do you know what they called the very first part of the olive oil? Virgin olive oil. And they would take it straight to the temple to be used in worship. And so when we read in Scripture that Jesus is in the garden of the Gethsemane, he's in that crushing place. And you might ask, well, what's crushing him? The sin and the weight of the sin of the entire world. Like that's what's weighing on him. And he asks his disciples to pray with him and they're just completely worn out from the events of the week and they fall asleep. And so Jesus is in this crushing place in the the garden and he begins to to pray and cry out to his father. And you need to understand that as he's doing this, he's not on autopilot. He's not some sort of robo-savior. Like he's having this conversation with his father and this is what he says. God, if there's any other way that we can do this, if there's any other way that we can ultimately provide this Passover for all people for all time, can we figure out some other way to let this cup pass from me? And you might say, this cup, what cup? The cup of wine? No, the cup filled with the sin of the entire world, yours and mine. And it says that he prayed even again, Father, if there's any other way that we can do this, let's, let's, let's find some other way. Is there something else that we can do? And he knew then what some of us didn't know until now, that there was no other way. He knew from the very beginning, the time when he was a young boy, what his purpose was and where he was coming from and and what he was called to do. And ultimately, at the end of his conversation with his father, he says, not my will, but yours. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do. And as you continue to read in scripture, it says that torches came through the night and the silence became chaos and The disciples woke up and they couldn't figure out exactly what was going on and soldiers have come to arrest Jesus. They arrest Jesus and they take Jesus to Caiaphas, the high priest who has some judicial authority and can impose some punishment if he thinks that it's necessary. And they begin to talk about the things that they don't like about Jesus. You see, the religious leaders are terrified of the things that Jesus is saying. is because he's completely turning upside down their system. And he's helping them understand, or he's trying to help them understand, that the way that they've done religion, the way that they've done church, he's come to make a different way. And they don't like it. They want him dead. They want him gone. The Bible says that they take him before uh, Pilate, and Pilate says, I don't see what you see in this guy. I don't know why you want him punished. I don't know why you want him killed. I see a lover. I see a kind man. I see a healer. He feeds people. He takes care of people. He doesn't have a large army. He doesn't have a large house. He's not going to overthrow anyone. And the Bible says that they couldn't really get anything to stick on him in the Jewish camp or in the Roman camp. And they're trying to figure out what they can do. And they begin to put a lot of pressure on Pilate. And so he comes up with a plan. And his plan is simply this. I'm going to punish him and release him. And one of the forms of punishment that they would use was called a cat of nine tails. It was probably a little bit similar to this, strips of leather with metal, sharp metal or stone in there, and many people would not make it past the whipping floor because of the damage that this device would cause. And the Bible says that they took him, that they tied him up, and they began to lash him And they lashed him, and they lashed him, and they lashed him. And with every lash, the prophet Isaiah's words are coming true. By his wounds, you will be healed. By his stripes, you will be healed. And after they had beaten him, they rolled him over. And they put a crown of thorns on his head. And they begin to mock him and make fun of him. Whoa, look at you big king now. And you can just begin to think of some of the things that they might have said to him. Aren't you all strong and powerful king? Save yourself now. They stood Jesus up and they took him back again to Pilate. All along, Pilate thinks that he's done what they wanted to do and he's going to release Jesus, but the religious leaders would have nothing of it. And they began to chant, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate still wanted to try to see if he could devise some sort of plan, so he says, it's customary during Passover for me to release one prisoner, so let's just release Jesus. And they again started chanting, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate says, well, I'll give you a choice. I'll give you two choices. We can release Barabbas, who is a known criminal, or we can release Jesus. And the crowd said, no, we want him. Release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Crucify Jesus. So they began to march Jesus out of the city because they didn't have any crucifiers in the city, because it was gruesome and gory, and that wasn't something that they did in the city. And they began to march Jesus out to a place called Golgotha, or the place of the skull, where they would do crucifixions. And you need to understand that This is just another day. This is just another criminal. From their perspective, there's nothing special going on. They may not even know exactly why this guy's getting crucified. There's other criminals with him. They're simply doing their job. They reach into a bucket and they grab some spikes that are probably stained with another man's blood. They're Rusty and weathered from being out in the rain. They lay Jesus down. They place one of his arms to the side. And with one blow, they take a spike through his wrist. And it's not the way that you and I may think of a tap, tap, tap. It was a wham. Because it only takes a little bit of pressure to pierce human skin. And they did the same thing with his other arm and with his feet. Beaten and torn with a crown of thorns, they have Jesus on the cross. He didn't say much when he was on the cross because it's difficult to breathe. You have to breathe in order to speak. The way that you would have to breathe if you're on the cross is you would have to push up on the spike that's in your feet in order to get air into your lungs so that you could speak and then you would have to drop down again onto the pressure of the spikes in your arms. He didn't say much but the words that he said were very powerful. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He's, in a sense, saying, Father, forgive them because they don't understand that I'm willingly laying down my life. In the past, it was about a goat. In the past, it was about a lamb. In the past, it was about a turtle dove. But today, I want to make one sacrifice for all people for all time. I willingly lay down my life. I'm the good shepherd who lays down my life for his sheep. I do this on my own accord. I can take up my life again. I do this because I love them. One of the other things that he spoke when he was on the cross, he said, Father, why are you turning your back on me? Why are you forsaking me? Because you see, when he began to take on your sin and my sin, the sin of the entire world, he was then alone. Not alone, but alone, alone, without God alone. And then he said, It is finished. What was finished? The thing that was finished was the old system is over. The old way of having the death angel pass over is gone. It's not about the blood from a sacrifice. It's about the blood from a savior. It's not about what you could do to get your sins forgiven. It's what he was doing for you to get your sins forgiven. And then, with one last breath, he simply said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Very simple words, yet with very profound meaning. And scripture tells us that what happened was that it got incredibly dark and that the ground began to shake. And then back in the city, in the temple, there's this place called the Holy of Holies. And there was this gigantic curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And the high priest was the only person that could go in there to ask for the forgiveness of people. And the scripture tells us that the curtain began to rip from the top to the bottom. And what that was saying, what that was representing was that Jesus has now gone and made a, a way with the old system, the old covenant. He's made a new covenant with people and he's made a way for sinful people To have access to a righteous and holy God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I don't know about you, but for me, that becomes a little bit overwhelming because I know my sin. And I'm not talking about those casual sins that we discuss with people from time to time. I'm talking about those things that you don't want anybody to know. And when today we can begin to grasp the reality that for one time, for all people, Jesus said, I'm making a way out for you. I'm offering forgiveness for your sin, a sacrifice. Because you see, in the past, what had happened was people brought the sacrifice. People brought the goats or the lambs. But on this particular day, God not only received the sacrifice, he brought the sacrifice. He was both just and justifier at the same time. And so now, that's the reason why we don't Herd goats and lambs into our church to make a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins because Jesus did it once and for all. And he took upon his sinless body, your sin and my sin, and he said, the old covenant is gone. I make a new promise to you. I make a new covenant to you. I'm making a new way out for you. The reason that I do this is because I love you and I want to offer you a way so that you can have forgiveness of your sin and that you can have access to God. What I hope is that by understanding the whole story together, it adds new meaning and power and significance for you. Because sometimes when we just look at the simple story and we read triumphal entry and we read that people threw down palm branches in their jackets in front of Jesus, if you don't know the backstory, story, it can lose its significance. And what I hope that you can take away from today is that what Jesus did on the cross was he made a way for you and I, sinful man, to be able to have communion, holy communion with a righteous and holy God because of the sacrifice that he made on the cross for your sin and mine. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning and I pray that in some supernatural way that you could take the things that we've discussed and that you would begin to burn them into our heart, that you would press them into our mind, that you would begin to help us see the significance of the sacrifice that you made for one time for all people. And as we continue to pray this morning, maybe you showed up today because Somebody bribed you, somebody begged you, somebody pleaded with you, and you just came to make somebody happy. But maybe for the first time you see the significance of the sacrifice that Jesus made, and you just simply want to say yes to him. And maybe you just quietly to yourself pray a prayer, something like this Jesus, I thank you for dying for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. Cleanse me and make me new. And as we continue to pray this morning, maybe some of you in the room are like me, you've known the story for a while, but just because of the busyness of life, sometimes it loses its impact and sometimes it loses its power. And I just want to beg you for a moment. Let the reality of what your Savior did for you sink in. It's not about goats or lambs or turtle doves. It's about the one final spotless lamb. His body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sin. And I pray that that overwhelms you and that grips you. And that changes the way that you live your life because you respond to the greatness of who he is and what he's done. And Jesus, this morning, thank you is not enough, but we say thank you. We say thank you that we no longer have to dip our hand into a bucket of blood to put over our door, but we simply reach out our hand in faith, and we say, Christ over my life, Christ over my sinful thoughts. Christ over my lustful thoughts. Christ over my greedy thoughts. Christ over I'll do my own thing. Christ over I don't care what you say. I don't believe. Christ over when I choose to to be selfish. Christ over my past. Christ over my present. Christ over my future. We say thank you. In your righteous and holy name we pray, amen.